Roots to Stazapod. That was Orville Peck and The Dead of Night. Been listening to a lot of Orville Peck lately as it sort of gets me in the Western mood. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later on and what's going on with development and where my creative mind may roam. But in the meantime, welcome to Distazapod. Now that that big, huge middle of January fulfillment is out of the way, which was truly the most ambitious uh, sort of packing and shipping I've ever done, and, and it was particularly challenging because it was just me by myself. Uh, now that that's out of the way, my brain is a bit more free, I'm getting back into developing, and uh, I actually have time to kind of reload and uh, watch a bunch of movies and listen to music and actually play a game on my phone. Can you imagine having the time to do that? Uh, so I'm enjoying coming back down to earth. Of course, I got to head back out to the workshop today to get everybody's uh, new orders out, but thankfully, it's uh, much smaller than this last round. Um, so what have I been watching and consuming and inhaling, and uh, how's it made me feel? Um, last night I finished watching Robot Carnival. Now, this is a sort of uh, anthology film. It's from the early 80s, and it features all Japanese directors and animation with the theme of robots being the centerpiece of it all. Um, I've definitely seen this. I think I've seen, I saw this on VHS as a child. Um, there was so much of it that seemed and felt very familiar, almost like a fever dream. Um, but I hadn't seen this as an adult, and I gotta tell you, it is fantastic. It's on Amazon Prime, I believe it's free to watch. Robot Carnival is the name of it. Um, it starts with uh, this wonderful opening by Otomo, who did Akira, of course. And um, there is so much in these short films that really inform exactly what I'm going for with Knights of the Slice. Um, I have a favorite out of the short films. I think you'll be able to guess which one it is as you go through it and watch uh, the, this is just the epitome of the wonderful design aesthetics that, uh, you know, I hold dear and I still try to have inform my creative pursuits. The, the shape of robots in it, the, the biomechanical enemies, all of this you can see in the DNA of Knights of the Slice, whether it's the Rift Killer or some stuff we have coming up that nobody's seen yet. But um, really fantastic uh, set of short films to watch. I highly recommend you guys do it. If um, you're a little bit younger than me and you kind of missed, uh, you know, the first wave of imported Japanese content, this is really a great primer in all of the different aesthetic notes that uh, were very informative to me as my brain was developing. And that still continue to inspire me to this day. So, once again, Robot Carnival, highly recommend it. Um, Amazon is not a sponsor of mine. I don't make any money for you from you watching it, but I do recommend it. Um, shifting gears from there, I finally finished watching Stalker. 
the uh, famous Russian film. I believe it's from 1979, I want to say. Um, it has possibly, this is uh, not credible, but it has the claim of being the film that killed its director, who died a few years later from a rare type of lung disease, which the rumor is was transmitted to him through the radiation in the sets that they were filming in, in Estonia, near a sort of defunct hydroelectric uh, power plant. Now, whether or not this film actually killed the director and its stars, uh, it has a lot of notoriety. And it's a film, like a lot of Tarkovsky films, they sort of, they're very languid, and they tend to put you to sleep. So I've watched his films in little bits and pieces at nighttime, and I always end up conking out. So it's taken me, God, I think I started watching Stalker maybe a year ago, and I just forget about it. I come back to it a couple months later. I watch a little bit more. Um, Stalker is, uh, I guess the biggest fingerprint of Stalker is what it's inspired, not the film itself. There's obviously been a whole cadre of first-person shooter games from the Ukraine and from Russia based on uh, the idea of Stalker. Stalker is actually uh, sort of a transmutated form of the short story Roadside Picnic. And Roadside Picnic is really a fascinating concept and and without realizing it a lot of my earlier work kind of fits the template of the ideas that are going on in roadside picnic and i'll break that down for you so the name roadside picnic comes from uh, one of the characters describing um an event that has happened which is essentially like extraterrestrial visitation. So in the world of Roadside Picnic and in the world of Stalker, there is the zone. And the zone is not unlike the exclusionary zone of Chernobyl, which would happen many years, uh, well, not many years, but I think uh, five or six years after Stalker was made into a film. But uh, Roadside Picnic, that that sort of uh, term refers to the idea that aliens visited Earth, they stopped here briefly, and then they left. And just like a human might have a picnic somewhere and leave behind garbage, uh, drop a french fry, you know, um, all this debris left behind in a picnic, so have the aliens, you know, sort of left-behind items in what is now the zone. Um, So a stalker is somebody who goes into the zone and procures these relics, these artifacts, things like that, and then brings them back into the regular world and sells them. Now, when you're inside the zone, things don't make sense spatially. There are anomalies. Um... You know, uh, you can get lost walking in a straight line. There are booby traps. It's it's really quite an interesting concept that, unbeknownst to me, has informed a lot of my decisions about the vector and how that operates. And, um, you know, I, I 
I do think it's an interesting, the, the short story is an interesting read for people, and the film is an interesting watch for people, with the understanding that, you know, this is a, this is a very slow-moving sort of film. You know, it is pretty dull by today's entertainment standards. But I love this idea of a stalker, of somebody who, who kind of goes into these areas that are forbidden and dangerous and looks for things. I, I think there's echoes of the Malignant Bullet comic where Rex and Vaughn are going into ex-war zones and reclaiming gear for various government apparatus. Um, and then obviously the Vector has parallels to the zone. Um, you know, there's another more recent film that played off of this as well, Annihilation, by the fantastic writer and director Alex Garland, who you guys should read and watch everything he's done. This this guy is incredible, including Dread 3D, which he actually took over the directing duties on, but is not credited for directing. Um, uh, Annihilation is really great, stars Natalie Portman and a bunch of other fantastic actresses. And uh, that, I think, owes a heavy debt to the world of Stalker and Roadside Picnic. And, um, you know, I'd recommend watch all these things. They're really great. And a lot of the... I guess a lot of the visual language, I think, can inform how you have a concept of the vector in your mind. And the vector is going to come into play in a big way with what is shaping up to be the second half of this year. And uh, I'm going to speak a little bit about that after I get through my list of uh, other media I am consuming. Of course, I am still listening to YMO, Yellow Magic Orchestra, the Japanese band from the late 70s that really pioneered um, a synthesized electronic sound. Uh, to listen to their music is to understand where all the inspiration for early NES, Famicom, Mega Drive games came from. They Literally, these soundtracks are just lifting a lot of the music from uh, YMO. And uh, they're fantastic. This is great workshop music. It gets you pumped. Uh, it keeps you moving. You know, it's good to trudge through all the orders when you have a soundtrack like this blasting. Um, this was turned on to me by Matt Doughty. Uh, no surprise, this is something he listened to a lot. And I, I really can't believe that I've never heard of this band or listened to any of their music. But it's all really fantastic. Just go through the sort of greatest hits on Spotify and you're going to be in for quite a great treat. Um, so no surprise there that I'm still listening to that. It's a complete earworm. Um, but something I'm doing now, we're trying to do at least, is get back on that stationary bike, get the juices flowing again, and to incentivize myself, I have decided I will play uh, an app, a game on my phone, which is what I used to do back when I lived in New York City, and I hated going to the gym. I would play, um, you know, like the Marvel fighting games or anything I could really get obsessed with and just sit on the stationary bike and go through the motions for 45 minutes or an hour. So uh, I'm back doing that. 
And the game I've chosen is Blades, which is a sort of Skyrim-type game from Bethesda that uh, is set in the world of Skyrim and uh, optimized for touchscreens. And I gotta tell you, it's it's pretty fun. I like it. It's, uh, you know, Bethesda and Skyrim, We I've now spent, must be 10 years, if not more, in that world. And from the outside, there's nothing really remarkable about Skyrim and its characters and its look and its feel. Um, it is pretty standard fantasy trappings. Um, I don't think that there is anything distinguishing or unique about that game and all of its vestiges. Vestiges. That's close enough. We'll fix that in post. Um, But the charm of Skyrim, I think, comes from just living in that world. You know, you get your, your house, Carl, you build your cottages, you store your gear, you eat a sweet tart. It all really starts to make you think that there's this other life in that world. Is it Tamriel? Is that is that what the world of Skyrim is called? I think it might be. Um, and while sort of, you know, the technology when Skyrim first came out was not one that allowed you to be immersive with, you know, a VR headset and haptic feedback and things like that, um, I think for me it was really the first modern time I could lose myself in a digital world. And that, of course, informs how I go about the storytelling for Cyber Mama and for Radic and what the implication is for digital lives and alter egos and things like that. Uh, This also makes me think of uh, Toy Galaxy had a fantastic video that Dan recently posted about Max Hedrum. And Max Hedrum... Uh, had a really interesting, mind-bending fact going on. In that, to watch Max Hedrum as a kid, which, you know, you're probably exposed to the Coca-Cola commercials. Um, I remember watching the series and being really scared of them, and then being confused at all the different iterations of the series, which basically retold the same story. Dan does a great job of breaking down how convoluted these three different adaptations were. It's really, really worth watching. But the big point here is Max Hedrum was essentially a live character, a live actor, that was being filmed in a way that communicated to us he was a digital 3D character because the technology wasn't there to have real 3D avatars. So in some ways, he's he's like an analog Hatsune Miku you know, before the technology existed to have these entirely digital creations. And I just think the ramifications of that are so profound. And uh, I I can't quite put my finger on what's interesting about that, but there's something really potent there. And all of this plays into, you know, the coming of Radic and Cyber Mama and her abilities and what the ramifications of that is. And, you know, it, it's just all... It's all ingredients going into the same stew right now. 
and I think that's uh, that's pretty fantastic. That makes for a good stew. But anyway, getting back to Blades, uh, it's a fun game. I recommend it. Um, you know, if you have a commute, if you take the subway, uh, there's worse ways to kill some time. And by the way, I always have Argonians. I always do the dragon-type characters in Skyrim. Skyrim is a game also I've rebought several times. I played it on Xbox 360 originally. Um, I bought it on Switch for my first trip to Japan in Hong Kong because that's, you know, 15 plus hour flight. And uh, now I'm back in that world again and, you know, I love it. I love the alchemy. I love infusing weapons. It's just, it's like a glove that fits really well. Cowboy development. That's where I've been at lately. Let me tell you. Um, Dowdy and I are really firing in all cylinders about this upcoming cowboy project. Part of the cowboy project, of course, is Kit Lau, Acid Rain, our collaboration figure. Uh, but there's much more than that. And uh, I think we'll get to reveal it sometime soon. Maybe at Toy Pizza Con. We'll see. But in any case... I've pulled out all of my bins from the archive in the basement and um, I've uh, spread out all the cowboy toys I have on my table and taken photos, posed them a little bit, figured out what's been great about each of these figures. And I can't quite put my finger on it. I don't know. What do you guys like about cowboy and western figures? What What's the magical thing there? Now, when I was growing up, Young Guns was, you know, one of the hottest movies, and Young Guns 2 especially, and they always played, you'd get free HBO Summers, and I remember Young Guns 2 was, you know, in, on constant repeat, and uh, I just, I loved, loved those figures, those, uh, that movie, sorry, I'm pulling a Joe Biden here, <laughs> um, and then Popcorn come out to the, to the parking lot with a length of chain, and uh, anyway, um, what I would do to sort of have a little Young Guns cowboy figure, uh, I had this, this horrific bendy cowboy that was like a dollar store good. I, I think I got it at Storybook Land in New Hampshire visiting my grandmother. And the cowboy was so, f so goofy and uncool. Uh, but he came with guns that were really well sculpted and, and great. And so I gave those guns to the closest looking cowboy figure I had, which was Buttons McBoom Boom from Cops, which it's not a cowboy, he's a gangster, but he had a hat. So I figured, hey, that's close enough. So Buttons McBoom Boom had the sort of six shooter and rifle from this horrific bendy cowboy. And uh, I stole one of my sister's briar horses and that became his steed. And then this was like my one cowboy figure. Um, now, I had in the past Brave Star figures, which I think at this at this point were really long gone. But Brave Star is another really fantastic line that I think very closely matches what we're going for with our cowboy enterprise. Um, Brave Star, and I would also say Galaxy Rangers. You know, there was two sci-fi futuristic westerns 
uh, cartoons in the 80s. And, and both of them I love dearly. Um, Galaxy Rangers was a bit harder to come by. Uh, the toys were bigger over in Europe than they were here. I don't think I ever saw the, uh, the toys in my childhood. But, um, you know, did subsequently track them down in my adulthood. And um, I also remember vividly that there were Galaxy Ranger Roy Rogers kids meals and they had just like a kit um, that had like a red decoder you know we we all know if you grew up in the 80s or 90s you know about those red clear transparent decoders Um, and then like a, a badge and I love that thing to death but I haven't been able to find any on eBay or you know any sort of history of those let me know if you guys frequented Roy Rogers back then and uh, maybe have one of these kids meals but anyway moving back Brave Star fantastic line Galaxy Rangers fantastic line um, I my biggest memory of Brave Star was my great-grandfather um, who didn't really speak much English and was illiterate and was a World War II veteran uh, he never bought me toys. Uh, that was strictly the domain of my great-grandmother. But one day, he came back home. Uh, I spent a lot of time with my great-grandparents. They they had responsibility for raising me on the weekends and for a lot of my childhood. Um, and uh, he came home from running some errands, and he had a Marshall Bravestar figure. And it was clearance for 10 cents. So, you know, he wanted to get me a little gift, which was out of character for him. And uh, he, you know, he grew up with the Roy Rogers and Westerns. And, you know, he loved cowboys and things like that. He also loved the shadow, which was another sort of connecting fiber for us. Um, so, you know, it was uh, it was really impactful to me. It was a... Uh, you know, a guy who uh, did not have a wide range of emotions and, and didn't really do stuff like this, uh, who, you know, picked up this space cowboy figure for me. And, and uh, it really meant a lot to me, and I really, I liked Brave Star even more because of that. Um, I also tracked down Thunderstick... Gosh, it must have been about 10 years ago now at this point, which is a harder figure to find. It's a robot wearing clothes, so you know I had to have it. And uh, he goes for a lot of money now. He has kind of a cool flip-out gun arm feature and uh, is also like, that's, you know, as a, as a character, that's the zeitgeist that we're aiming for with this cowboy line. And... Um, I just love sort of basking in this stuff. This is a this is a genre I've wanted to go into for a very long time. As you guys have probably seen from the lens stories on Patreon on the app, uh, I've been drawing a lot of cowboy artwork lately. This is just such a such a ripe and fantastical genre to uh, to play in, and I'm very much looking forward to it. But before we can tackle the cowboy, I think we got to talk about Diver.
So Diver, 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 what are we doing here, guys? Everybody's been asking for months, what's the status on Diver? What's the status on Diver? Um, I think we're going to experiment with Diver. This is going to be a big deal for us. Uh, the stated goal here is to see if we can finance just ourselves, not with any big corporate money or retailer support, if our collective can green light an additional figure in a micro fundraising round, not on Kickstarter, just on our own website, uh, if we can do it, if we keep the budget exactly what is needed to tool it, if we keep the goals and unlocks very conservative, um, is there enough juice amongst all of us, even after being tapped out from doing Action Figure of the Month 2020, can we move the needle and green light these individual figures? And I'll tell you why this is important. Uh, I don't know that Action Figure of the Month is always going to continue or if it's always going to continue in its form. And part of that reason is, oh my God, it's a lot of work. It's great to get you know, a year's worth of money up front in November, uh, it really is, it is a huge workload throughout the year. Um, so if we are an enterprise that can independently fund an, I fund an idea right away, uh, that means more figures more often. And we can continue to build out the library of characters that, uh, inhabit the world in Knights of the Slice. So what I'm contemplating doing is launching Diver in March as a small fundraising, micro fundraising project on my website. There will be a couple options. I think we will have, uh, you know, just a single figure in Rolly, and that will get you an exclusive color. Uh, I will probably do some kind of bundle, and, you know, you guys will be Whoever backs this will be the first people to get this product. Um, the challenge here is while the ask is going to be much, much smaller, I'm thinking probably eight grand for the basic tool and then, you know, maybe 10 to 12 grand for the additional accessories. Um, the challenge here is that the the checkout amount, the cart size, the total dollar each individual will spend is going to be relatively low compared to Action Figure of the Month, which is a $250 buy-in for an entire year of action figures. So um, it's going to take that many more people to achieve the goal. And it's risky, you know? I think if we put this up, and it doesn't fund, uh, that is definitely going to affect the likelihood I would do any micro fundraising throughout the year ever again. So it's gonna be really interesting. My challenge right now is I gotta sit down and figure out what are what's the asks, you know, how much am I charging for a single figure? How much am I charging for a bundle? What goes in that bundle? What additional items can we unlock? Etc. etc. So um, it's very exciting, it's very scary, because I think failure is definitely possible. Um, but 
I'm totally prepared to fail on this one. I think Diver is probably one of our strongest character ideas, and it is appealing to people that may not collect Knights of the Slice, or may not, you know, know what we do and follow everything. And uh, I think that, you know, it merits doing its own campaign. Now, things like Chromega and Sen 5, those and Radic even, those are much more polarizing characters. You know, they're important to me. I know that people will love them when they get them in hand, but they are not universally loved or accepted. And what these micro-campaigns would be is more of a focus on these figures that can easily fund themselves. They are easily digestible ideas, and that will allow us to continue to expand this impressive roster of unique figures. You know, in looking back at the five-year anniversary, there's a great picture from uh, Jason Ellum where he showed the first five figures from the campaign of the original Kickstarter and then a smattering of figures from this year and last year. It is so dramatic. We only had one figure in 2015, and it was the classic knight. And then you flash forward to five years later, and you look at this picture, and it's the old knight, it's Cyber Mama, it's Riff Killer, it's Desert Rat. It is just so much more complex and interesting and vibrant. And I think the secret to our line is the amount of characters, the, the breadth of the library, the, you know, ever-changing experience. And so getting more and more figures unlocked is super important to me. I have an endless well of characters I want to get to. Um, but, you know, I think Diver's got to go first. I have some of the first sort of iconography and logos from the great Drew Wise that will be part of this campaign. I think it's very exciting, very good-looking, you know, uh, typography, if that's your thing. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm willing to uh, roll the dice on this, and if we can do it, it's going to be great. And if this micro-fundraising thing works, I think I would do more of them. You know, probably not too frequently. But when we have a character that really speaks to us as a collective, you know, like, I'm pretty sure... Uh, you guys haven't seen the cowboy sculpt yet, but I'm pretty sure if I put that up for micro-fundraising, it would instantly fund. It is that strong and dynamic and great. And I think Diver is that way, too. And... Uh, as I continue to develop these characters, and as you guys want to see them, and you want to see them sooner, um, micro-fundraising becomes a very viable option. So it's exciting. And I'll keep you posted on what I'm thinking, but I'd like to hear from you if you would 100% back a diver campaign, and would you sign up for one figure, or would you sign up for as many figures as I offer? And that will help me determine what kind of tiers I offer.